Faye, have you heard with the OBG project that they now have this thing called the core? Yes, they have a resident core curriculum that they have created so that there can be a collective curriculum for all residents around the country. This curriculum is absolutely free to all residents, so even if you're not a chief resident where you can get OBG first, the premium product for absolutely free, you can still benefit from the awesome stuff at the OBG project by signing up for the core. And speaking of OBG first, if you are interested, you should definitely sign up because they can send you emails, you can create your own bookshelves, and it has really helped me this year where I'm starting to study for oral boards. Yikes, me too. So head on over to our website, www.creagsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar. You can find out more about OBG First as well as the core there. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creags Over Coffee. Coffee. Um, Today we have with us two awesome, very, very special guests. You may have heard of them or seen them before through their um, project, the Black OBGYN Project, primarily on Instagram. Um, First, we have with us Dr. Tamandra Morgan, who is a second year OBGYN resident at UC San Francisco. Welcome, Tamandra. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We also have with us Dr. Rachel Burvell. Rachel did her intern year in OBGYN at the University of California, Irvine, and is continuing her training in family medicine with a focus on obstetrics and public health next year at Boston Medical Center. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Together, Tamandra and Rachel run the Instagram page, The Black OBGYN Project, which is a space dedicated to educating and promoting anti-racism, equity, and inclusion within OBGYN, women's health, and reproductive health care. Again, you can find them on Instagram at the Black OBGYN Project. And so our learning objectives for today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Black OBGYN Project and also how it came into being. And of course, we're going to be discussing the very important topics of racial bias and racism in medicine and OBGYN specifically. So Nick, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So Rachel, Tamanda, whomever wants to start, um, I think what I wanted to start with was learning a bit about the Black OBGYN Project. So just Tell us about that, where it came from, what it's intending to do. Great. Yeah. So the Black Elite Guide Project has developed into Rachel and I's passion project. Um, We're great friends from medical school, and we both um, were interviewing um, on the OB-GYN trail, and we decided that, you know, we wanted to have a way for us to kind of follow ourselves throughout residency and kind of document what it's been like being a resident. Um, One thing we noticed often at the different institutions we were interviewing at is that we were in many circumstances, one of the only black female um, applicants. And so that was something where we realized we were entering a field where there wasn't a lot of people who looked like us. And so it was very important to form a community for support and encouragement. So that kind of um, led to the Instagram account being developed and, you know, we started posting and fast forward to the summer of our intern year, in addition to there being a global pandemic, a lot of issues related to racism came to a crux. Um, so our platform developed into a social media activism avenue where we were able to provide 
resources, education, and awareness on a lot of the issues related to racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare through our page. Thank you so much for that, Tamandra. Um, I wanted to ask, what has surprised you or Rachel or maybe been new to you um, as the result of the creation of your Instagram, of this page, and a result of your um, advocacy work? Yeah. When we first started the Instagram page at the beginning of our intern year in June 2019, we had the intention of really showcasing Black OBGYN providers in the field and in the specialty. But we quickly realized ourselves and putting the content together that there are so many discussions around Black health and Black OBGYN care in general and disparities. And we started talking about that on the page. And so very quickly, the dialogue not only shifted from representation as providers, but it became a conversation about where are the pitfalls in the field? Where are the pitfalls in our practice? What, what are we seeing on the labor and delivery floor or in the gynecological procedure in the OR? Um, and how does that translate to experiences both for providers of color or our allies, as well as patients of color, specifically Black patients? As Tamandra mentioned, with the summer of 2020, when there was a lot of attention paid on COVID, the disparities that COVID were pre was presenting as a pandemic in communities of color, and then the onset of these murders of Black people, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, that was played out so publicly on screen, we started noticing that people really wanted to engage with what does it mean to be truly anti-racist, truly embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion in academic spaces, but not just that, in medical spaces. And that's been really surprising to me because we started our Instagram very humbly. We had a very strong core following of 200 faces of um, Black providers primarily, and then it started transforming to a very diverse group and population of not just doctors, but lay folk who wanted to learn about healthcare, how to be better advocates and how to be better allies um, when they are in these medical settings. So it's, it's been for me really empowering because I am learning as well how to be a better physician. Um, it definitely has played a role in how I see my trajectory in medicine, but it's been a pleasant surprise that I've embraced and I'm really, really excited to see that others are joining in and learning alongside us too. Yeah, I mean, you both touched a little bit on how this kind of suddenly within our no social and political context has become a point where a lot of physicians and trainees are interested in discussing topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, and anti-racism, and the space that it occupies within medicine. Um, you know, just kind of even to talk about you guys alone, you have like 17,000 followers on Instagram. That's just like incredible. And then it's really kind of following along with your experiences and the conversations you guys have engendered just through social media are really powerful and important. I want to go back though to kind of the, the beginning of that though about race and racism in medicine and really just get 
y'all's input on why you think it's so important for physicians to talk and learn about these topics in particular? You know, first, I think it's really important for us to define what racism even is before we start talking about racism in medicine, just briefly. You know, race is a socially constructed classification of human beings that assigns human worth and social status, um, really using white as a societal model. And so racism is any action, any practice, any law, any speech or incident, whether it's intentional or not, that undermines someone's human rights based on their actual or their perceived background. And that background is race. And you can have racism kind of appearing across these four main dimensions. It can be internalized, it can be interpersonal, it can be structural, it can be institutionalized. Many of us are familiar with the former two, you know, the internalized and interpersonal components of racism, but for the latter, structural and institutionalized, understanding those forms of racism is a little bit more nuanced, and this is what people more generally call or refer to as systemic aspects of racism or systemic racism, because it exists within policies, practice, organization, it really exists at a, a level of a system um, and it really works its way into culture so much so that it's very subtle and nuanced. Unfortunately, for that reason, medicine is not immune whatsoever to these issues. And I think when we even think about the history of medicine, specifically OBGYN, it's wrought with racist practices and perceptions and ideology that unfortunately has persisted to today. You know, I, I think, for example, of Dr. James Marion Sims, who's heralded as the father of gynecology. He, and to his credit, was quite incredible and had many significant achievements. As we are familiar with in the OR, we have the Sims retractor that we oftentimes use for our hysterectomies and our other procedures um, that's named after him but he performed many of these surgeries and these procedures on the bodies of enslaved women without their consent, without their ability to say no. And he also and without did, anesthesia. Exactly. And without anesthesia, which is probably the biggest thing in his practice. And historians have looked at, well, you know, he's a product of his time and, and whatnot, but in his writings, he makes it very clear that he knew that these women were actually in pain. He would give them morphine and he would fuel their opioid addiction after their procedures to help them. He never used any pain medication for these women as he was repairing their fistulas. And when we think about that, that's really horrendous. But then you kind of fast forward to today and those perceptions of pain in racial identities still persists. So for example, when Dr. Sims was performing his surgeries, he thought it was because black women could feel less pain than their white counterparts. You fast forward to 2016, proceedings of National Academy did uh, a credible study at the University of Virginia, where they surveyed medical students as well as medical residents about perceptions, some of them false, some of them true, of patients of color. These questions range from, do Black patients have thicker skin than white patients? Do Black patients feel less pain than white patients? And almost half of these trainees 
medical trainees and in some cases physicians endorsed a misconception that later on changed the way those providers would give care or would alter the management of care to their patients of color. And so when we say racism, um, I think, again, we kind of shy away from it because it is something that feels shameful, embarrassing to point out, but it's so much more in the way we approach care, um, the way we approach other bodies or the perceptions and biases we have when we're speaking to other people. Yeah, and no, I think that um, race is a big part of society and how people make opinions and how perspectives are formed. And we would be um, aloof to think that the impact of race does not show up in medicine and in healthcare and how we deliver healthcare. Um, because we know that race is a social construct, the uh, fact that data exists, that there are disparities in outcomes for Black women for Hispanic women in obstetrics and gynecology should cause us to pause and think that, well, why are these women having more adverse outcomes? If this is a social construct, that means biologically there's no reason why these patients shouldn't do as well as white patients. And I think that requires us to really be um, reflective and understand that it's not race that is the variable, it's racism and how we deliver care and how these systems of healthcare are constructed and built and delivered and, and what makes it so that um, certain patients are vulnerable and have adverse outcomes. Thank you both. I wanted to reference an Instagram post that the two of you um, put up in September of 2020 um, about the racist history of OBGYN, and it was really, really well done. And it's a great reminder of how, you know, physicians occupy these positions of power. And also, as you mentioned, Rachel, the history of experimentation on black or non-white bodies. And I think this question is a little bit loaded because I think that we've been talking about this all along, but where do you see racism today in play specifically for our area of practice for OBGYN? Well, I think one big area we see it in obstetrics and gynecology is the maternal mortality rates. And we know that Black and Indigenous mothers have two to three times more morbidity during obstetrics and during labor and delivery. Um, I you know, we see that there's data for Black women, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their educational achievements, they still have worse outcomes than their white counterparts. It's in the preterm delivery rates. Black babies are more likely to be born preterm and to have the um, health consequences of being a preterm delivery. Um, rates of preeclampsia are, are higher for Black women. So some of those are what initially come to mind for me. In the gynecologic setting, we know that Black women are more likely to undergo a hysterectomy for abnormal uterine bleeding due to fibroids, and um, which is a more morbid surgery. It's a, a bigger surgery than doing a myomectomy or a minimally invasive procedure. So those are some of the things that come to mind initially when I think of these disparities specifically in obstetrics and gynecology. And I want to add on to some of those other um, other disorders. I consider like endometriosis, for example. Um, just recently, a couple institutions during Endometriosis Awareness Month, which is in March, were stating the risk factors or the populations that get 
endo at a higher rate and they listed white women. And a lot of organizations that um, support black patients who have endometriosis felt that that was playing into racial biases because unfortunately, when you look at the statistics and the data, black women are actually diagnosed with endometriosis later <laughs> and at more um, extreme stages of the disease than their white counterparts. And so it plays uh, both ways. It plays a role in more morbidity for populations of color. And then it also plays a role for worse outcomes because they're getting diagnosed at later stages. And that also holds true for even breast cancer. Another place that it comes in for obstetrics that I think we as a field and a specialty should at least just reflect on and try to thoughtfully challenge is with the VBAC calculator for vaginal birth after cesarean suction. It's a tool that of course measures the success rate for vaginal birth for women who have had a C-section. But when you go to the calculator and you identify a woman or a person as black or Hispanic, and it takes down their percentage like 10 or 15%, that makes you wonder, you know, black and Hispanic women are definitely not a monolith, number one, but it also kind of plays a role into more extreme measures for a push towards cesarean sections for someone who might not need that type of intervention during their subsequent pregnancy. Um, so I think again, race-based medicine in obstetrics and gynecology um, just makes us pause and think about how we should be more thoughtful with our assumptions and how it actually plays a role in the health outcomes of our patients. No, I think that's a great segue actually into the next question I wanted to ask you both. Knowing that you guys have already thought a lot about this and are in a great position to say like, hey, this is where we've been. This is our lived experience. What steps can trainees, generally speaking, um, start looking at identifying disparities like what you guys have already pointed out for us um, and take meaningful, concrete steps towards ending those disparities in their practice? One thing I would say is, you know, it's a daily practice. It's not, there's no quick solution to these grandiose problems. You can't just maybe do one research project or volunteer one weekend and feel like you've done enough because unfortunately um, that the problem is too big for small solutions. I love the rhetoric behind um, anti-racism work and being an anti-racist is like a daily commitment to doing things that are um, in that line of thought. Um, I think as trainees, um, at this point, we know that these disparities exist. So it's more than just identifying them. It's now taking action to prevent them or to address them. Um, one thing that um, the Black OB-GYN Project really values is highlighting and um, emphasizing that there are Black physicians in spaces that people have not are not used to seeing them. So we do want people to know that um, there are programs where they value diversity and they value the recruitment and retention of Black trainees. There's programs where you see Black faculty in leadership, like take an internal inventory of your residency program and see how many of your co-residents are um, BIPOC residents, so, res so Black, Indigenous, or other per people of color. 
Um, and if you're if those numbers are not adequately represented, push for more recruitment of these populations so that you can be a part of the training of more minority physicians. Same thing with um, faculty and people high up in the departments. In order to really impact change, I think it's important that all the um, people who are sitting at the table or who are in these positions of power are um, equally distributed among um, underrepresented populations. I think that's a big step. And as a trainee, that's something you can directly have control over because, you know, you can be a part of the recruitment and an interview season and things like that. I think that's so huge. Making sure you and your department and your hospital organization, your clinic values the role of diversity. Um, that being said, we do have to be honest, right? Right now, as it currently stands, five and 6% of physicians are Black and Latinx, respectively. And so we do have a disparity until we get to the point where we can have more equity in our academic and medical settings. And so I think that as providers, we ourselves do have a responsibility to learn about the history of medicine, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have a responsibility to understand what it means to be anti-racist and to do the work, um, especially as a respected field, as a respected professional. Um, we also have to acknowledge that cultural humility is really important. Um, and cultural humility kind of takes you beyond cultural competence, right? Cultural competence is like, oh, everyone here is different. I have different patients. My patient looks different from me. But cultural humility is like, okay, what biases am I bringing to the table that are actually going to impact my patient? What type of thoughts did I have before I entered this OB triage room about my patient who is a G1 and says she's in pain and she's, you know, thinks she needs to push. What am I thinking? Am I thinking, oh, because she's XYZ or looks from this background, I'm going to treat her this way? Well, let me stop myself. Let me have a little bit of cultural humility and call myself out and call my biases and bring them into the light. And that's a lot of soul searching. Just like Tamandra said, that doesn't happen overnight. That's for all of us to really take hold of and work on over time. Um, but I think with that over time practice, we will eventually get to a place where we see more equity in our health outcomes. We'll get to a place where everyone feels valued in the workplace and microaggressions are not something that people have to constantly be like, listen, you made me uncomfortable. You know, all of these layers will slowly dis dissipate, but it requires us to do the work. And then I also just want to put a plug in for advocacy and policy and legislative changes, because I think that especially OBGYN, ACOG, we have such a beautiful power to us when it comes to using our voice in spaces where we know we will be heard. And that's the biggest way that we can get the attention of people outside of medicine, right? Get the attention of policymakers to put more funding in residency programs so that we can do the work and get more inclusive and diverse um, trainees. Um, but, I, you know, I think we are doing it. We just have to be a little bit more intentional about why we're doing it and our hopes for the outcomes. But it's definitely a process 
it's going to take time. Um, but I know that with um, efforts of all of us, we will be able to, to, to really start ending these disparities, both for our patients and in the workforce. Yeah, I just participated in the ACOG lobby day for our district. And one of the um, legislations that we were championing for was for the extension of postpartum Medicaid coverage from 60 days to one year. And, you know, we know that in California, Medicaid accounts for about 40% of all births. And we also know that the postpartum period is a highly vulnerable period for mothers. Um, a lot of maternal mortality happens in the postpartum period. So the idea that these moms get 60 days of coverage and then all of a sudden they're just either lost to coverage or, um, or their coverage is reduced is incredible. And I think that you know, a lot of our Medicaid population happens to be black and brown women. So it's very important that their coverage is extended and um, accounted for and just tuning in to um, the issues that affect your patients and the communities they come from, um, which oftentimes extends beyond the office room. There, there might be issues related to living in a food desert. There might be issues related to gun violence police brutality. There's so many issues that um, don't always come up in a clinical setting. So I think it requires you to take a wider um, perspective in your patient care. Um, and one thing I would say is that, you know, we all are trainees. We're used to studying hard. We're used to, um, you know, having to read a lot. Some of these issues require you to do a lot of background research, you know, learn about the history of obstetrics and gynecology, learn about the mistreatment of black women by the US government in the early 80s and a lot of these issues continuing in today. Um, there's great books. We actually did a post about um, books that every women's health ad advocate should read. Um, and I think it's very important that you educate yourself on these topics. They're unfortunately not things that we have traditionally been taught about in college or in medical school, but these are real societal issues that we need to devote ourselves to being informed about. I just want to say to Amanda reminded me that when it comes to um, coerced sterilization, the things we do in OBGYN are because of these missteps and mistakes from the past. I think of Killigan versus Madrigal, 1978. It's a um, case of 10 Mexican-American women who basically took USC, right, um, LA County to court because they received unlawful sterilizations without proper consent. The reason we have a PM330 form, at least in the state of California, where we have to provide a woman 30 days before she can say she wants a hysterectomy is because of this case. And yes, the woman lost the case in the 70s. It's really sad, but we have now bilingual consent forms. That is because of this case. We now have to give you a heads up about all the, the risk benefits, <laughs> you know? We always say there is a risk of injury to um, surrounding organs, infection, bleeding. That is because of this case. And so I think if we do a disservice and we don't learn about the past, we will never understand the decisions that we're making in the present. Um, and so this is just so important for us to understand as trainees and as physicians, as doctors who have a responsibility to our patients. Yeah. And I think we have already started to answer my next question for the two of you, which is, you know, I know that you are going through your residency now. And I think a lot of these things 
will resonate with the people who are coming into their residency. I think part of, you know, coming into internship, at least for me, was I was just very overwhelmed, being like, where do I start? I need to figure out how to put in a Tylenol order, let alone, you know, figuring out everything about like racial bias in medicine and making sure that I am doing a good job being anti-racist. So what advice do you have specifically for, you know, our, our trainees who are just coming into residency and trying to figure all of this out? Well, first, one step at a time, right? I remember you have a mix of emotions when you go into intern year. This is what, back in June 2019, when I was going to my OBGYN residency, and you are anxious because now you're a doctor for the first time. You're nervous because like you said, you don't even know how to use the EMR. Um, you are trying to figure out what dose is correct. You're like, can I give her 650? Like you don't even know what's normal. Um, but I but I think as with anything, you need to take it a step at a time. Tamandra mentioned it. I restated it. I'm going to say it once again. These topics are not things that are going to come to you overnight. And so I think you first need to find a way of understanding that it should be part of your education. Tamandra and I have been really blessed with the opportunity to have funding directly from ACOG to try to create an anti-racism curriculum um, through CREOG um, so that we can allow trainees to incorporate these discussions in their day-to-day -day when they are on rotations. Um, so hopefully that will become integrated, if not through a program that we're doing, a program that your own department will do on its own, um, because it is, part, it is part of the way we should learn about medicine. Um, but just like all things, it's going to take time and that's going to go beyond the four years of your training. I think the second thing is reading and having the opportunity to open up not just to Lynn's, not just Williams, but take a step and say, I'm going to pick up Dorothy Roberts' book, Killing the Black Body, or I'm going to read Medical Bondage by Dr. Deidre Cooper Owens and try to decipher what the history has said and how that reflects in today. Or I'm going to watch a documentary like No Mas Bebes or make that part of a journal club and really see and discern how that plays a role in the way we practice medicine currently. Yeah, I would say um, make sure you find your people, your accountability partners, because intern year is no joke and there's gonna be a lot of times where you feel overwhelmed. And I think it's just important that you have people who can support you, motivate you, encourage you. I feel really blessed to be training at UCSF where so many of my co-residents are just incredible social justice advocates for, you know, all the issues that are affecting our patients. And we're not all individual experts in different areas, but together we can like share ideas and encourage one another and challenge each other. Like, did you ever think about this encounter through this perspective and through this lens? And have you given some thought to why this patient might have thought, felt this way or how that encounter went? And I think it's important that you don't operate in a silo. I think it's important for you to find people who um, encourage you, but also will challenge you and make sure that you are um, really kind of humbling yourself in patient care and in dealing with situations that are just incredibly emotionally challenging and intellectually difficult. I think it's very important that 
you have people that can support you on that journey. There's a lot of um, um, anti-racist book clubs and communities and find like what works best for you. And as Rachel mentioned, the curriculum that we're hoping to develop for this fall will also be a way to kind of maintain um, a consistency in this practice. And I think the very last thing that I just want to add in before we end is to find good mentors and to have good friends, you know, beyond anti-racism, beyond education, beyond creogs, you need to have people who can remind you of your personhood because residency is hard. We do burn out. Mental health is a big issue for all physicians in all specialties. And you need to be able to have someone who reminds you that yes, you are caring for other people, but you need to be cared for yourself. And so I, I hope that all interns, all trainees, no matter where you are on the process, remember that we're doing a lot of work, but it takes time. You have the time. So take care of yourself first, because that's the most important. Yeah, definitely. Be kind to yourself. You have taken on uh, impressive journey and it's very important that you be kind to yourself. Wow. Thank you both for those words of wisdom and honestly for really today's entire podcast because this was a super enlightening and exciting conversation. Um, so Tamandra, Rachel, thank you both again for taking your time on this Sunday to share with us. Thank you both for giving us an opportunity to share our perspectives and discuss this really important topic. Uh, we are both really big fans of the show, so it's quite surreal to be um, on it as um, panelists, and we're just incredibly grateful. Absolutely. I'm just sitting here thinking, oh man, the amount of times I would drive early morning listening to like, okay, what is the evidence-based cesarean section? <laughs> and now I'm going to hear myself on Kriyag's over coffee. It's, it's really humbling. And Tamandra and I both appreciate you willing to talk to us about this issue and even just open up the discourse. It actually speaks volumes about this podcast. And I hope for the listeners, it's a really great introduction to what you can be doing and how you can be influencing so much more. Thank you both again so much for coming onto the podcast. We really loved having you. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, and you can also find us on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Give us some love and we'll give you some swag or a shout out on the show. You can find show notes for this episode and every one of our prior episodes on our website at CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you have questions for us or discussion questions for Rachel or Tamandra, go ahead and email us, koreogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Be sure to check out the Black OBGYN Project on Instagram at the Black OBGYN Project. 